0: So you ready for the word? All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We are going to pick up at verse 8, and by grace and faith, we will get done with this chapter. So we do go verse by verse, so 2 Corinthians 7, 8. Let's read, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, What vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, in all things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not uh, do it for the sake of him who had done this wrong, nor of the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God may appear to you. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort. We rejoiced exceedingly more in the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For in nothing I am... Uh, for in if nothing I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Let's pray for our spiritual meal. Father, I thank you so much for the word of God today that you have assigned for us to hear this today. Father, I thank you that it is filled with nourishment that we need. Father, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening, open them by the gift of your grace, and cause them to see, hear, and understand what you're saying. Father, I thank you for ministering in a way that they hear directly from you, and only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's go to verse 8. Let's start unpacking this. Verse 8 again says, "'For even if I made you sorry,' with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a little while. Paul in this verse says that I wrote you a letter and it made you sorry. What letter is he referring to? He's he's referring to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was probably the strongest corrective letter we found in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. We find a corrective letter there. And so the Corinthian church was Paul's trouble church. And so there was a trouble. If you think you've been part of a troubled church, then just look at Corinth, and that gives you hope. Yeah. And so if you go to Paul was dealing with several problems in the church. He's right off the bat in the first three chapters, he talks about that there, are, there was strife in the church, that there was disunity. They were picking one minister over another. They were fighting and bickering. There were schisms. And Paul said, you're just babies. Grow up. And then he talks about there were people suing each other in the, in the congregation that they were, uh, they were taking each other to court and dragging their personal issues before heathen, before unbelievers. And then Paul later on deals with um, abuse of, uh, of, uh, of sexual uh, propriety. Matter of fact, there was a guy in the church sleeping with his stepmother, having sex with his stepmother. And so they were, instead of being sorrowful about it, they were boasting about it. They were saying, look at what the grace of God that's in our church, that God is moving in our church, and we have this kind of sin. Isn't that awesome that we have such grace in our church? They were actually boasting about this. Then Paul had to deal with the misuse of the gifts. They were all excited and that they could speak in tongues, and they were spirit-filled, and they were all getting up and giving each other messages all at the same time in tongues. And Paul says, no, you're causing chaos. Just do it decently in order. And then there were some that were getting drunk at the communion table. The rich people could show up early. They didn't have to work, so they showed up, brought food, and then they were just feasting all day long. And by the time the poor got off work, there was no food left for them. And by the time they showed up, they were drunk. Getting drunk on the wine they were going to use for communion. Say, that's a great church, praise God. And after that, then there was false doctrine in the church. There were people rising up and teaching that there was no physical resurrection, that Jesus wasn't physically raised from the dead, and so there's no physical resurrection coming, and so there's false doctrine in the church. Paul had to correct one after another after another and brought strong correction, and many of them repented of this. Paul's going to bring it out. Most repented. There's some that will not. We're going to see later on in the book there's some that did not repent, that was uh, actually not happy at all that Paul corrected them. And so then started speaking lies about Paul. But in all, they they repented. And so Paul's going to bring out that, by and large, many of them repented over his letter. This brings out, we're going to talk about discipline today. Well, tell someone congratulations to coming to church today. (laughs) We're going to talk about the Lord's discipline today. We're going to talk about something that a lot of people don't hear much about anymore called Repentance. And we're going to talk about repentance today. And see, uh, the message I'm going to preach today is not one of the top hundred messages I would have picked to build my church. But, I, but the Lord's called me to ver- teach verse by verse. So I don't get the, uh, the luxury of skipping over subjects. And so as they come, I give it, but we need all of the Word of God. And this brings out the fact that, the fact that God disciplines His children. Why do you think God disciplines His children? because he loves them i want you to see this look in hebrews chapter 12 look at verse 5 hebrews 12 5 today's message is about love that how much god loves you but instead of just focusing on the type that makes us feel good we're going to look at the side that sometimes is not comfortable is that because god loves you so much he's going to discipline you raise your hand if you have kids do you discipline your children well i hope most of you do praise god But if you don't discipline them, it's going to cause them trouble, a lot more trouble later when they get fired at work. They can't keep a marriage. You can't keep relationships in their life. And so again, you you discipline your children because you love them. Well, God's the same thing. He loves you and he's going to discipline and correct you for your own good. Look at Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of, of the lord look at that word chastening it's the greek word paiduo or paideia i'm sorry paideia p-a-i-d-e-i-a if you're taking notes paideia it means child training literally child training correction disciplining of children and here it says don't despise the discipline of the lord why would paul have to or i believe paul wrote hebrews but why would the writer of hebrews have to say that don't despise it because we have a tendency to despise correction Raise your hand if you just love being corrected. I just want to give you... Go, I'm going to. No, that's not, that's not the thing that comes out here. That we normally do not like to be corrected, but guess what? It's for our good. Matter of fact, if you learn how good it is to be corrected and the benefit of it, well, we can learn to love correction. And so here, but why does he correct us? Hebrews 12, 6 goes on to say, For whom the Lord loves he chastens or disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives tell someone next to you god loves you now tell someone else that's why he's correcting you (laughs) hallelujah he loves you so much and so he's going to discipline you because he loves you but how does he discipline you this is where religion gets it wrong well god's going to discipline you with sickness He's going to discipline you with cancer. He's going to discipline you with an accident that you have or a calamity that visits you or a tornado is going to come and run your house over to discipline you. (laughs) Was I too blunt? I'm sorry. That is not how the Lord disciplines. The main way the Lord disciplines all of his children is through his word. Through his word. I want you to see that because we looked at the chastening of the Lord. That's paideia. Look in 2 Timothy 3.16, talking about the Word of God. The purpose of the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says some scripture. Oh, I'm sorry. Clueless translation. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Does that include the Old Testament? Yes. Tell someone don't throw out the OT. God has purpose for all of the Word of God and is profitable. Say profitable. Profitable. It's profitable. And he's going to list what it's profitable for. First of all, for doctrine. That's teaching. Teaching. But I want you to see the next two things. They're not pleasant. It says that the Word of God is profitable for reproof. Reproof. Next is for correction. And next of all, instruction in righteousness. Underline, underline that word instruction. It's the great Greek word paideia. It's the same word for chastening found in Hebrews. How does God chasten you? How does he discipline his children? By the word of God. And so you know how it is. But before we get there, go to Acts 22. Look at verse 3. He disciplines. He says, I made you sorry by my letter. 1 Corinthians. It's scripture. He used scripture. And I want you to look in Acts 22, look at verse 3. This is Paul talking about his upbringing under Gamaliel. In Acts 22, look at verse 3. It says, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught, underline that word taught, it's the Greek word paiduo, the verb form of paideia. It means child trained, discipline disciplined according to the strictness of our father's law and zealous towards god and you are today he said that i was disciplined by the word of god at that time the old testament was the scriptures and i was disciplined by in in the word of god and so you know don't look so holy and righteous today you know how that is when the word actually pierces into your heart the word of god is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing into the heart and sometimes i've had the word of god pierce into my heart And I say, you know, what? I almost wish I could have had a spanking. Because the word is pierced right into my heart. Ouch. Ouch. Touches that area that I need to deal with that I didn't want to face. And you know how I, you know, you've been like me. It's like you're, God's dealing with you in an area of sin. Yes, I use the word sin. We don't like to say the word sin. We like to use the word my mistake. My issue. No, Sin. And the Lord's given grace to overcome sin. And so we need to deal with this. And so God's dealing. But it, preach it. Oh, all right. Thank you. I'll need your help later. But the Lord's telling us to deal with certain things. And so we're just in our own time. I'm going to open up the Bible. And so you open up, the, it just flops open. You put your finger on it. It's a verse dealing with your area. Oh, so you flip over, and then you find another place, and it's the sister verse. <laughs> Out of all the Bible, you find the sister verse dealing with your issue. Then you're like, well, put that Bible open, let's just worship God. <laughs> and then you get into your, you know, that's morning, you get in the car, I'm going to listen to Andrew's podcast, and Andrew's on the verse, talking about the verse. Well, I don't like that. You flip over and you tune in, Joyce Meyer, going to get a good word from Joyce, and she's dealing with it. And then you go to church and pastor talks about the thing and the lord's dealing with you he's trying to correct you through his word guys if we'll let the word discipline us then we don't have to go to the second level because if we're not listening to the word our circumstances will spank us our consequences from our actions will spank us you know one thing about grace i love the grace of god vertically by what jesus has done he's removed all sin and all punishment from god so vertically we're forgiven before the father that's a wonderful truth but there's a horizontal aspect to our life in the life and if we're living in sin sin has consequences sin has uh, byproducts it has effects to it and the grace of god doesn't automatically remove all your consequences Praise God, you can seek for God's mercy, and God's mercy will help you through those things. But the things you sow, it's still the Bible. It says, whatsoever a man soweth, that he shall, shall reap. And if he sows of the flesh, of the flesh, not from God, of the flesh he'll reap consequences. And so we have consequences. So let the word of God correct you, but, don't, but you don't have to let your circumstances spank you. And so we have that here, that God wants to use his word and Paul says, I wrote you scripture, and it did its work. It actually brought you to repentance. It made you sorry. And it says, when I wrote that letter, I actually regretted writing that sermon, I wrote writing that series, or writing those verses that I wrote to you. It's like, when I wrote it, I said, you know what, Was I, did I do the right thing? Was I too harsh with them? He said, I regretted it when I wrote it, but now when I see what it did in your life, I don't regret it anymore. He says, I don't regret it. And so, look at that word regret. We're going to find out, this is one word for uh, repentance, and it's the Greek word metamelomai. M-E-T-A-M-E-L-L-O-M-I-A, Metamelomai. This word means to feel differently. This word means to feel bad about. Paul said, you know, when I wrote this letter, I felt bad about it, but now that I see the result of it, I don't feel bad about it anymore. I did feel bad about it. And it's just going to bring out that this is one word for repentance. We're going to find out if there's another word for what true repentance is. That's going to be a different Greek word. But hold on, we'll get there. And so in the ministry, you can't be led by your feelings. There's times that you're going to have to correct people. It's not going to feel good. It's not going to feel good that you do that. But it's important that you still be faithful to do that. And so Paul brings that out. And so uh, he says, I do not regret it though I did regret it. And so Paul, as a parent, raise your hand again if you're a parent. There's been times when you've disciplined your child and they're crying. You've spanked them and they're crying. And the thought comes to you is, was I too harsh? You know, I, you know, you're hurting because they're hurting. And did I do it too much? And did I, was I wrong in doing that? No, you weren't wrong. If you did it righteously, not in anger, then that's what they needed. And it's going to produce uh, good things on the other side of that. I've heard parents say this, and my parents said this. When I was about to get spanked, they said this. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Sure. (laughs) Right. And then you become a parent. And this hurts me more than it hurts you when you see them crying and see them in pain. But you know what? On the other side of it, there's benefit from it. There's the peaceable fruit of righteousness that comes by it. And Paul says, I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry. Look at that word perceive. This brings out that repentance can be perceived. Perceived. You can see it, it has a tangible, physical result. For I perceive the same epistle. That's the word of God. The word of God made you sorry. And says, and so look at Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 10. He says it made you sorry for a while, for a while. Discipline is only for a little bit, but it yields a lifelong benefit to you. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 10. Now today is is not the message that you're like, woohoo, let's jump around and have fun. That's next week. I'm bringing in someone to bring chocolate cake in for you. This is broccoli day, hallelujah. Just put your hip over your nose and uh, just swallow. Because this is filled with nutrients and we need this. And so look at Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 10. It says, For they indeed for a few days, say a few days. This is your natural parents. For indeed they for a few days chastened us or disciplined us as it seemed best to them. But he, God the Father, for our own profit. Say profit. Where did we see that word? 2 Corinthians 3.16, for all scripture is given by God and is what? Profitable. 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 He again... Will, will discipline you through his word and brings profit to you. It says, but he for your profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness, his wholeness, his completeness. Look at verse 11. No chastening or discipline seems joyful for the present. Say for the present. But painful. It's painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So today we're going to talk about discipline, we're going to talk about repentance, but really we're talking about how much God loves us, and so it's very important as we get through in this, because we're going to go deeper, I'm sorry, and then it's going to get better. And so I would just want to, it's very important at this point, I make a disclaimer that I'm not speaking to you, I'm speaking to your neighbor. <laughs> me and you's like this. You stick in with me, all right, because we're like this. All right, here we go. Verse 9, now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Look at the word. Here it says that your sorrow led to repentance. Look at the word repentance. It's a different Greek word. It's not metamelami. It doesn't mean to feel bad. This Greek word is metanoia. Metanoia. M-E-T-A-N-O-I-A. This word literally means to change your mind. To change your mind. See, if you'll change your mind in what you believe and what you think, it will always impact your actions. It will turn you around 180 degrees. One time I was watched an interview by uh, a, a young basketball player that came out of college, Jason Kidd. And so he got grafted by the, 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 the uh, Phoenix Suns. Uh, and and so, so he got drafted, and they interviewing him says, "No, do you think you can have an impact to this team, the worst team in the league?" He says, "Absolutely, I'm going to turn this team around 360 degrees." No, no, we need 180 degrees. Okay, we don't want to go back the way we were. We want to go one. So so when you receive the word. The word will change the way you think, change the way you believe, and will change 180 degrees the way you act. And so there's a difference between the first type of repentance, metamelami, and metanoia. What's the main difference? One is you just feel bad about it. You feel bad about it. And so you can cry a river. You can fill a whole Kleenex box full of snot and not truly repented one single bit is you felt bad about the consequences. You felt bad about the situation you're in. You don't like where you're at. You don't like the what the consequences are. And so you feel bad about that. But that has nothing to do with true repentance. True repentance is to change your mind, change what you believe that changes your actions. Now, you can have tears with that. There can be some snot with that. But it's not. Oftentimes, it's not. It's just you've changed what you thought about it. Because you see people come up and fall on the fall at the altar and they just cry and cry and cry just because they're doing that doesn't mean it's true repentance and so it says you were made sorry in a godly manner say godly manner so paul used a godly manner or method to bring them to sorrow and repentance so paul said you saw sorry, sorry was sorry or repented in a godly manner So the saints of God will repent in a godly manner when the minister ministers repentance in a godly way. What what am I saying? What's some ungodly ways that ministers try to get the people to act different? There are some ungodly ways ministers across the body of Christ today are using to try to get people to change their actions. The first way is through anger. They get angry. They're angry at what someone's done. And so out of anger, they discipline their people and try to, out of anger get them to do something different. The last thing you need to do to discipline your children is when you're angry. Especially as a leader, when you try to correct something, wait till you are settled down a little bit. Jesus is the greatest example of this. You know two times he cleansed the temple where he had righteous indignation at the thieves and the, thing, the money changers and stuff like that. He just threw their tables off. It looked like Jesus was going berserk. What happened to Jesus? the one that holds the lamb it <laughs> looks emaciated no jesus righteous anger he's throwing tables but guess what before he did that he, he cleansed the temple twice At the beginning of his ministry he said he went in and sat down he just kind of looked around and just kind of acknowledged everything going around and spent time braiding a whip he just spent time just flipping and looking over there and flipping and just making it until finally he got done and got up and went after it he did it was under control it didn't look like he was but he was Second time he cleansed the temple, he went in, looked around everything, and left and slept on it. Came back the next morning and dealt with it. As a leader, you need to make sure you've settled yourself emotionally before you deal with something. And so so anger. the other way is through manipulation. You manipulate people to change. Or you use fear or condemnation or intimidation to get people to change. That's all ungodly. Paul used a godly way that caused them to sorrow and repent in a godly manner which is the word of god by the holy spirit by the word of god so instead of i've I've never i I never uh, ever have an intention of trying to clear you know fix somebody i'm gonna use my sermon and get them no i just trust and i just teach verse by verse and and i just allow the holy invite the holy spirit and the holy spirit does that work and it produces a godly manner and so again paul said again you sorrowed in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Paul said, "You know what? I was concerned when I wrote that letter. Did I hurt them? Did what I sent them? Did it hurt them? And then he looked back and saw the result and said, "No, nope, no, it helped them. It helped them. So I'm not going to regret or be, feel bad about that anymore. And but if you'll correct out of anger or intimidation or manipulation and all these, you will hurt people. You hurt people. So you don't want to hurt people. Look at verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance, metanoia, a change of mind. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Well, pastor, I thought I was already saved. Yes, you are. If you believe in Jesus, your spirit's saved. This is talking about your soul. This is talking about your emotions getting saved. This is talking about your finances having wholeness and your relationships at work and your marriage being healed. This is talking about the whole salvation package that you have, spirit, soul, and body. And so Paul says, godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, not to, that you're going to end up not feeling bad about it anymore when it's actually done, That the sorrow of, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You know, there's a sorrow, a godly sorrow, but there's a sorrow of the world. What's the difference? The world's sorry about the consequences. It's sorry that they're in the situation. They don't want to be in the negative situation they found, and so they cry a river, and they're all upset about it, but there's no change of mind. There's no change of beliefs at all. You know, everybody that suffered in hell hasn't changed their mind, truly changed their mind and repented. They all feel bad about their situation, well, pastor, how do you know that? Well, I know because the word of God tells me that. Remember the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man misused Lazarus and treated him like a lap dog his entire life. And then one day, uh, Lazarus was taken to heaven because he believed on the Lord and the rich man didn't accept the Lord and he is in, in torment. And what did he say to Abraham? Hey, will not you fetch Lazarus and send him over to serve me? He never changed his thought, never changed his thinking one bit. If everybody in hell would walk out, they'd be excited that they don't have the consequences, but they had not changed one bit. This brings out an example of a worldly sorrow that produces death is Judas. Judas, actually, I want you to look in Matthew. It's funny here. 27, verse 3. Matthew 27, verse 3. This is Judas as he betrays the Lord. Then Judas... Look, can you put the King James up? Yep, there it is. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented. He repented? Greek word metamelami. He felt differently. He felt bad about it. But there was no change in his thought, no change in his beliefs he's sorry that that happened do you know what jesus was thinking you know i'm gonna hand him over i'm gonna get 30 pieces of silver i'll hand him over but you know what jesus is gonna do what he did every every time else there was a crowd that came to get him he just walked right through he'll he'll walk through he'll be fine and then I'll somehow i'll explain it on the back side of it but i'll get my 30 pieces of silver jesus will be okay but no he wasn't okay he was actually condemned and he felt bad about it but it led to death he went out and hung himself Peter almost did the same thing, betrayed the Lord Jesus, but he actually repented, metanoia. He changed his mind, and it, he actually went to the Lord. And so that's the two difference. And that brings back worldly, just worldly sorrow. There was a comedian, famous comedian, who had done something despicable, made a despicable um, commercial about President Trump. And, and uh, it was a despicable thing, and everybody just denounced her because how gross it was, how despicable it was, no taste to it. And so basically all her sponsors dropped her. All of, uh, all of her shows just dropped her to where she was going to have shows. They all canceled her. And so she's on national television crying, oh, 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 that president's fault. Oh, 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 oh. No change of heart, no change of thinking. She just was sorry of the consequences. Worldly sorrow. It says godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But it says that worldly sorrow produces death. And so I want you to look in verse 11. For observe this very thing. Say observe. Observe. Paul's going to give seven signs of true repentance. Seven signs. Of true repentance. And all of them can be observed. True repentance can be observed. And so Paul's going to bring out seven signs that are observable, that are hallmarks of true repentance. Not worldly sorrow, not worldly repentance, but godly repentance. And he says, for observe this very thing. That you sorrowed in a godly manner, because Paul used a godly way to bring it about. What diligence it produced in you what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all these things, you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. So Paul's going to give seven signs. Seven in the Bible speaks of what's complete. What's complete. You want complete repentance? These seven aspects will be in your repentance. So look at the first one. Paul said, observe this very thing. He says, first of all, What diligence, what diligence it produced in you. Look at the word diligence. The Greek word means to make haste or do something quickly. Godly repentance means that you repent quickly. You do it quickly. You don't wait for three years, three months, or whatever to get around to repenting. No, true repentance is you do it quick. Tell someone you need to repent quick. There's so many slow people, slow to repent, slow to believe. Now be quick to believe and quick to repent. It says what diligence it produced in you. So they quickly repented of the situation they were in. Next of all, it says what clearing of yourselves. Look at the word clearing. The word clearing is the Greek word apologia, A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A. Apologia, apologia. We get an English word from this word. Where do, what, what English word comes from apologia? Apology. Apology. They were quick to apologize. Quick to apologize. This is another sign of godly repentance. You're quick to apologize. This is the hallmark of maturity. I've seen so many people that when they've done wrong, they can't apologize. They have trouble saying, I am sorry. I am wrong. So when they, say, they go to say that, I was... I was, I was, (laughs) (laughs) they can't say it. You were wrong. Well, I just, I wasn't at my best. I didn't do everything right. No, you were wrong. You were wrong. And you're quick to repent. I am sorry, I was wrong. Or they ruin a perfectly good apology by adding, but you don't understand the situation and and we're all not perfect anyway and you've messed up and matter of fact, you did something too. Yeah, that works well, doesn't it? Especially if you're a husband. That works really well. (laughs) Ingredients of a true apology. There's ingredients to true apology. I want you to write these down. Ingredients of a true apology. First of all, and a genuine expression of regret. A genuine expression of regret. Then acknowledging how your actions impacted others. That's called empathy. Put yourself in the other people's shoes. How? What was your action? How it, how it impacted them? Acknowledge how your actions impacted others. Thirdly, acknowledge your responsibility. You take ownership of what you did. You take responsibility. You don't do what Adam and Eve did. Adam said, it's, it's that woman you gave me. It's your fault, God. You know the woman's crazy. But you gave her to me. Makes you feel crazy. And what did Eve say? The snake. The snake's fault. And the devil was like, I was just doing what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> Expression of regret. Acknowledge how your actions impacted others. Acknowledgement and take responsibility. Take ownership of it. I did this. Name it. I did this. And then you declare repentance. I'm sorry for that. I'm making a change. Then you offer 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 to repair the situation if possible you offer to repair it and then you request them to forgive you will you please forgive me well i thought i was already forgiven well god has vertically but you've sinned against a person and so you need to follow these ingredients and then say will you forgive me these are the ingredients i told you this would be fun Let's move on to the next sign of true repentance. What indignation? This word indignation means anger and it means indignation. So what does this mean? Godly repentance will have a righteous anger towards the sin attached to it. Godly repentance will have a righteous anger towards the sin attached to it. You will not repent from a sin that you've justified yourself in doing or you're rejoicing in or pleased about. We said it again. You will not repent from a sin that you have justified yourself in doing or you're rejoicing in or pleased about. You know in your spirit you hate sin? In your spirit you have not sinned. It's your soul. And your soul might be attached to a certain thing, but you need to come in line, come in agreement with your spirit man because that's who you are, you're, you're a spirit being. You need to start speaking, I hate that. Because in your spirit, you do. Don't go by your feelings. You go by what you know in your spirit. You hate that. I hate that, detest that, abhor that. And I don't do that. Come in line. Come in agreement with your spirit. Next of all, what fear? The Greek word fear means reverence. Reverence for God. Because every time you sin, you leave God out of the picture. You don't focus on the God. To sin, you have to just focus on the situation, the temptation, and you just push God out of your mind. If you'll put God in your mind and you reverence the Lord, it'll keep you from sin. That's what kept Joseph from sinning. He says, I fear God. I have God in my thoughts all the time. And so next of all, it says, what vehement desire. That means you have a strong desire to please God. You have a desire, a strong desire to please God. Next of all, it says, what zeal. Zeal is something you do with your actions. And so you act on your change of mind and make a practical change. Zeal means you're zealous about changing the situation. Lastly, what vindication? Vindication means to provide justice for a wrong. What does this mean? You, as much as possible, you make right your wrongs. As you make right what you've done wrong. These are all aspects of true repentance you don't find in worldly sorrow. You don't find in worldly repentance. Seven things Paul talks about. Then lastly, it says, in all these things you proved yourself. You know repentance is proved. Well, brother, you just trust trust me. I don't trust you. I love you, and I'll forgive you as a gift. I'll forgive you as a gift, but trust is earned. Well, you just need to trust me. No, we don't. No, we don't. Well, you just, need to, you just need to trust me. No, no. We should forgive as a gift. Release them. But trust is earned. Prove it. Prove it. By a track record of change. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And what was the matter? Is that Paul dealt, you got to deal with this issue of this man sleeping with his stepmother. This will eat your church and pop the bag you got to deal with this. And they did. They, they, they put him out of the church. And God worked on him and he repented and got back right with God. Amen. Look at verse 12. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered the wrong. He says, I wrote to you, but it wasn't about really the person that had done the wrong. That's the guy sleeping with the stepmother. So I really didn't, that wasn't the main reason I wrote because of that guy. Nor did I really write the letter of him that was wronged in the situation. Who was the one wronged in the situation? That guy's dad. He was sleeping with his dad's wife, and he wronged his dad. He said, well, "I didn't really write it for his dad. I wrote it about because of you, because this thing's going to eat your church, and you needed to do something with it." He says, "But I wrote it for the care, for you, and the sight of God might appear." Verse thirteen. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because the spirit was been refreshed by you all. He had sent Titus with 1 Corinthians. He says, Titus, go and try to work through the situation. I don't know what's going to result because of this letter, but let's see how it goes. And Titus came back and said they received it. By and large, they repented. They got it right. They fixed that situation with that guy. They turned the situation around. Now, some of them aren't very happy with you. Some of them started talking about Paul, accusing him, lying about him. But by and large, the church repented and Paul was refreshed and it was filled with joy because of this. He says, we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus. Titus came back filled with joy based on what happened because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. You know why church is so important? Because you get refreshed by the people next to you. Tell someone next to you, you refresh me. Tell, some, tell someone else, you're like a tall glass of cold water. That's why we come to church. Do be refreshed by the teaching of the Word of God and refreshed with one another. Verse 14. It says, For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth... Even so, our boasting to Titus was found true. He says, you know what? I boasted to Titus about you. I'm proud of you. And I'm believing that at the heart, when push comes to shove, you'll end up doing the right thing. Your heart's right. You just need to be corrected some with the word and you'll get it straight. So I boasted, said, Paul, I really believe this church is going to turn around. I believe in this church. And guess what? Titus came back and said, you're right, Paul. He says, you know what? I wasn't ashamed in the boasting I had. You know, I am proud of this church. I am proud of the heart of this church. And if any of you have an area where you're deviating a little bit, you're going to get it right. I know that the Word of God is going to straighten it out, the Holy Spirit straighten it out, and I'm so proud to be a pastor of this church. Matter of fact, next week, for the first week, I'm going to be a full time pastor of this church. <laughs> up, until the time, up until this time, I've been a part time, full time pastor of this church. But bless God. And I'm looking forward to the the, the messages being of a higher quality than they've ever been. I'm looking forward to that. Amen. (laughs) All right. Verse 14. For in, if anything, I boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. Verse 15. And his affections are greater for you as ever. He's more... He's in love with you guys more than ever before as he remembers the obedience of you all. He's basically saying all of you that repented, all that were obedient. There's going to be a segment in the church that were disobedient. We're going to find that later in chapters. Paul has to deal with this segment of the congregation. But he's speaking now to the congregation that repented. He says, the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Fear and trembling received Titus It's very important how you receive a man or woman of God. Because how much you can receive from God. He says, You through fear and trembling received Him. Verse 16, Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. He says, you know what? I have greater confidence than ever before in what God's doing in your life. That God has great things for you. And I have the same thing for you. Now before we close, I want to talk to you about repentance in the Bible means to change your mind, change your mind. What does that mean? That means that you're the steward of your own repentance. What does that mean? That if you'll stay in the Word daily, the Word of God will keep changing your mind. You know, those that, raise your hand if you've been to Karis Bible College, first year, second year, third year, right now, did your life change? Why? Because your mind changed. Your beliefs changed. Matter of fact, you didn't realize that you went through three years of a process of repentance. You repented for three years. And most of the time, it wasn't with snot. It wasn't with tears. But your mind changed. But guess what? You'll continue to be the steward of your own repentance. If you'll stay in the Word, the Word will correct you, keep correcting you, course corrections. It will continue to change your mind. And you can on purpose repent on purpose get better and profit and so bow your heads father i thank you for the word of god today thank you for the letter that was written here and you say pastor i want to on purpose be the steward of my own repentance there may be an area like you know what pastor there's an area i know the lord's been dealing with me on and the word of god is basically pierced into my heart and i know i need to deal with these things i need to look at those seven aspects are they there Do I need to apologize to someone? Do I need to repent today and apologize? And those ingredients of of an apology, do I need to put that into practice? That may be you. But you say, you know what? No, I'm, I'm good. There's no area. But you can make a commitment today to continue to be a steward of your own repentance. And so if that's you... Either there's something that that the Lord's been dealing with you and you're you're ready to deal with it today, or you're making a commitment. I'm going to be a steward of my own repentance. I'm going to be in the Word of God like never before. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. I'm standing to my feet. Well, I was, but I am now. Father, I thank you for those that are standing. That, Father, you would show them what needs to be made right. They we go through these seven aspects of what true repentance is. And Lord, by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit, Lord, there will be true repentance being brought forth by the Word through the Spirit of God. Not by effort, not by willpower, but by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Father, I thank you that they're going to be stewards of their own repentance, continually changing their mind, correcting their thinking, correcting their believing, correcting their lifestyle. So they can be a partaker of your holiness and bear fruit a peaceable fruit of righteousness
1: praise god i grew up on the gulf coast so i have weathered many hurricanes in my 75 years and i've watched trees go through hurricanes and it reminds me of people, people that are going through storms now or that you've been through storms. But if you're in a storm right now, don't be like the pecan tree because I watched a pecan tree in a hurricane, and it's unyielding and stiff, and it's toppled, and its roots come up, and it's blown away. Then I've seen a pine tree. I'm like, uh-uh, I'm going to go through the storm all by myself. Nothing's going to take me down. And a pine tree will torque and torque and then it's cut in half and thrown to the ground and I've watched a 200 year old oak tree go through a hurricane and it bends and it flexes you can even see its roots coming up out of the ground as it bends and flexes and that reminds me of the Christian going through a storm relying on God and you just stay in his arms and you bend and you flex and the storm passes by and you're victorious after. Amen.
2: Oh, how he loves us. The Lord gave me verse, Ephesians three nineteen To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I had a dream years ago, been over 20 years ago. God came down in that dream and he hugged me. And the love that flowed over me was the most amazing thing I have ever felt. It changed my life at that moment. I asked the Lord, how can I keep this? What do I need to do? He said, press in closer. And I'm thinking, how do I press in closer? I started reading my Bible a lot, and that love has never left. I can love people I don't even like, and <laughs> and I have met people I don't like, but God loves them, and He lets me know I love them. And He doesn't call me to love them with my love, with, with what I can muster up, but He loves me, loves them through me, and I benefit from that because I get the love. And you, you can't explain it. There's no words to explain it. But if you get quiet before the Lord and just let him love you, just let him hug you, you will see a strength, a peace, a joy come upon you that is beyond beyond our knowledge. And... God's got it to give to every one of us. So just reach out and take it.